kind of a good segue. We're going to start talking about student organizations now. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess we can start out with why do you even think student organizations are on a college campus? Like, what's the purpose? Why are they even here? Man, they are, they're a huge part of the heartbeat, man. Like, whether you're an athlete or not, I knew athletes who would be a part of uh, clubs and organizations. Like, for example, SMU, when I was a grad student, a lot of your teammates, Jeremiah, they were, they were part of Greek orgs, right? Like, they right. were also, they were involved in student government. And it wasn't just because they were popular jocks. Like, first off, like, if they, if you're, you're a great representation of, like, not only were you a captain in all conference and stuff like that, but, like, you were involved in, in housing and doing a lot of, like, the, the background work that, like, these incoming freshmen would benefit from. Uh, I know you were involved in helping with, like, student government and stuff like that. Like, just because you were a cool guy on campus didn't mean that you had, didn't have the intellect. Like, you're a great example of showing, like, you know, you, you see, and, and as an athlete would have these cool privileges, right, of, of seeing and getting exposed to parts of the university that even like the student body wouldn't have, but still being able to like chill and be a part of the regular student body. Um, so first off, I know because a lot of your folks will probably be athletes at some sort of level, uh, it's usually encouraged to still be a part of organizations. One, it helps you stick with, you know, um, stay current with like your classmates and your peers, um, but also it, it helps balance. I think as an athlete, Jeremiah, you could probably attest this way better than me, but it's nice to have a balance. Like, yes, football is your life and you love it. For example, you know, Jeremiah's both of us having football backgrounds or maybe it's a baseball player listening to this or whatever. Um, it's just good, you know, it's good to be balanced. And I'm sure we'll probably talk about this more. Um, my anyways, to segue away from like the athlete portion of it, just in general, student organizations are there because student, forget students, human beings all yearn for, for one thing. You could say love, but I also say just a sense of belonging, having a community, feeling like you have people. Yes, there are some people who are like, you know, my wolf pack is small. I have two or three people who I communicate with daily. They're my friends. They're the only people I'll hang out with. I still a sense of belonging. That's still your community right? Uh, and student organizations are essentially that way on a college campus. And what they do is they promote all these cool interests. And it allows like, you know, it's important, like, for example, we just talked about with orientation, the reason why organizations are usually somehow involved or integrated as a crucial part of orient, uh, orientations is because students can see, oh, man, like, I love video games. i, I I love e-gaming. Yeah, I may want to compete in e-gaming. That's something I want to do. Or um, salsa sounds cool. Sounds a little silly, but sounds cool. Those moves are cool. Like maybe I'll sign up for that. Or, you know, you've heard of Greek organizations or, you know, maybe some of y'all have a bad stereotype when it comes to Greek organizations. Go up to them, talk to them, ask them direct questions more times than not. Like they'll give you, you know, hey, we're not the, the stereotype. We're not what like, you know, Animal House portrays us to be. So um, it allows for you to, it really showcases the entirety of a community. Um, but then as like the student, you finally like have a way to social and, and socialize and be able to network. And that's something where when you graduate are, are crucial skills you need to have. Um, from a, you know, folks, if there's, they're asking me for like a value standpoint, you know, what's the difference between a student working part-time and like being in an organization? And I say, first off, you can work and you can, you can also join clubs and organizations. There's nothing that says you couldn't do that. But 
I get when people ask me that, they're, they're basically trying to ask me, what is the value of joining an organization? Um, one, employers are looking for soft skills. Not only do they expect you to know things, you know, if you're an engineer, yes, you need to know certain algorithms and uh, certain concepts and you need to know calculus and all these things. Great, you're book smart. But how, how do you work with teams? Like here at Rice Business, I work with a ton of engineers. Um, and when they graduate from this program, it is expected that they are able to communicate, they're able to um, listen, which is, you know, mind blowing concept, instead of just arguing, actually being able to listen to like the opposition, um, working in teams, delegating, these are things that you learn while you're in an organization. But the great thing is a lot of times within an organization, it's like more fun topics. For example, here in grad school, again, this is not undergrad, but grad school, like we have beer and wine clubs. On paper, you're like, oh, cool, you just get lit. You just get drunk off of beer and wine. Not necessarily. Um, actually, these students try different beers, actually go to breweries or wineries and things like that, and actually learn about like the business concept of it. But yeah, they get to try beer and they get to try wine and they're all 21 and over. So anybody who's underage here on this podcast, don't dare think that I'm promoting that. I'm saying based on assumed population 21 and over, that's what they do. From an undergrad standpoint, um, you know, you could go into like rec sports, like uh, you can get involved with like, uh, let's say you were a competitive athlete, but you're like, oh, I don't want to play college athletics. That's great. Rec sports is a phenomenal way to still keep playing the sport, meet other people who love the sport, and then you have that bond there. There's like club sport teams. Typically, a lot of big ones are like club rugby, uh, you know, there's club baseball and, and all these things. So um, it allows you to, to, again, be able to translate like your passions, but then also on the back end, while you're not even realizing it, you're also gaining these other skills that can actually help you get a job and get employed. So that's why I tell people, like, one, it's fun, it's beneficial, you meet people, um, whether it's a big club or a small club. Um, and then on the, on the back end, like if you think about all the experiences that you've had in the organization, you know, you can be an officer and that's great leadership development and things like that. You can translate that on a resume. And I can speak because for some reason, SMU accepted me into their grad school and somehow Rice hired me. And y'all, I went to Sacramento State. I love that institution, but some folks joked and called it Slack State. Mm. I opposed to that, but I understand that's funny. Like that's where I came from. All these organizations and things like that have allowed me to get hired by like, you know, Forbes 500 companies like Core Jensen or, or you know, get to work at SMU or UT Dallas, which is a, a tier one institution or Rice, which is technically the highest ranked university in Texas. This is not to brag about my, myself because I'm not that great. But what was great were these experiences that I received. And that's the blessing that I ended up having and took advantage of. And I thank God every day for it. So I'm encouraging you all, regardless of what you're doing in school, um, that you should be, you should be finding ways to get involved. Um, Jeremiah, you think I got a minute to like explain, because a, a big question that I get is like, okay, so how many, there's like, for example, you go to UT Dallas that has almost 400 clubs and things like that. It's an overwhelming number. How would, you know, how would you categorize, like, how many clubs or organizations should I get involved with? And I was going to ask you that question. So, yeah, that's, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> that's perfect. I should have held off and let you ask my bad, no, man. That's good. Um, that's uh, I'll quickly just go into it because we actually use it at, with grad students, and this is something that I use even with undergrads. Um, number one, I'll start with a fun one. Social, find something that allow you to get socialized. 
whether it's a Greek organization. And I, I'm a proud member of, of Greek life and have worked with Greek students and whatnot. That's why I, I personally promote it. Um, uh, what's Greek life? That's a big one. So what can you go into a little bit of detail? Real I can. So Greek, Greek life, life is, um, these are Greek lettered organizations. Um, for example, like Pi Kappa Phi, um, where men and women, uh, there's also, for those who are a part of like the LGBTQ plus um, community, uh, there's actually um, non-binary uh, fraternities that are starting to come up. Uh, there was one that got approved when I was at UT Dallas, which was phenomenal. Uh, but these are organizations where you essentially join based off of values uh, that allows you to have also for like a fraternity um, to have brotherhood. Um, you gain a network. You also learn, um, you know, responsibilities within a chapter. Um, a lot of times it's run like a business. So there's, you know, everybody has a role typically, you know, whether you're a general member or you're, you're the president of the organization. Um, so, you know, for those who are kind of interested in like business or kind of like corporate sector, you can actually see a lot of like the structures of business and things like that being translated into Greek organizations. But, you know, when I was involved, um, you know, for a brief time with Greek life and, and also talking with other Greek chapters, you know, what folks will learn is, yes, you, you have a great time, you socialize, you, you mingle and you meet people in other fraternities, sororities, uh, you know, you do a lot of philanthropic work, so uh, volunteering, raising money, donating to good causes and things like that. Um, but it's, you know, a lot of folks have found it as a great form of meeting some of your closest friends. Again, you know, some of my friends who I did orientation with um, helped join with me and they stayed in a little longer than I did. I was kind of prioritizing and going into, you know, other routes that eventually helped me professionally. Um, but, you know, I have nothing bad to say about, about Greek organizations because I think it truly creates a unique bond and it really does prepare students, um, I think professionally, um, but then also you have a great time, uh, which I can talk about a whole whole separate separate thing, but it's a, it's a very unique community. Uh, but you do, for parents who do listen to this, and I guess students should know this as well, it, there's typically costs, which we call dues uh, in the Greek community. So um, just be aware of that. They're usually, you know, if it's quarter, it's every quarter, if it's semester, every semester, um, so just kind of take that into account. But, um, you know, you'll notice a lot of orientation leaders are typically Greek. Uh, that's because they learn a lot of these social soft skills uh, while being involved in their organization. So that's just like one example. Um, social organizations could also be, you can consider them even sometimes religious, like uh, Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ is usually a big like Christian-based organization uh, that pops into my head. And they do a lot of like social things, uh, gatherings and stuff like that. Um, you could also technically um, count that as cultural, which is like the, the second category I'll go into. Um, I think it's great for, for folks, whether you want to be more attached to a community uh, culturally, or you want to learn about a, a certain community or culture. Um, it's just always encouraged to, I think, diversify um, your horizons and, and learn about things that either most likely aren't familiar to you or, you know, something that you're just curious about. So um, I'll say, for example, for me, uh, culturally, um, that, that I thought was, was neat was, uh, I'll say sal salsa. Because not only was you could you could kind of call it social if you want social and cultural can sometimes like gel right. into each other, um, but I'll say culturally for that salsa you weren't just learning about the dance 
you were learning about its history. You were learning about the different parts of the world that incorporate salsa and the different meanings in like different countries. And, and then you begin to learn about, you know, other dances that some people see are similar, like merengue or something like that, and learn what the differences are. So for me, that was cultural because I was learning more about cultures and why salsa is such like a prominent thing. Um, I'll also say, you know, something I take great pride in is working with organizations that uh, serve LGBTQ plus uh, their organizations such as Out and Allied. Um, our business school has it for graduate students. There's also undergraduate chapters. Um, the BBSA, Black Business Student Association, there are undergrad and graduate chapters. Um, I know there's similar type of organizations when it comes to engineering. I know within the Latinx community, there's a lot of it, uh, Pan American, um, Asian Pacific Islander. Um, so if you are drawn to like those culture or are part of that culture, um, I knew being in California, there was a lot of like Polynesian um, kind of um, influence there. So there were uh, poly organizations there. I, I highly recommend you being a, uh, being a part of that. I think, you know, engulfing yourself um, in your, whether it's your culture or a culture you're admired to or like been adopted by um, or something like that or just want to learn about um, is it, so powerful um, for sure. Um, I can speak on behalf like for my wife. She was an English and a German double major at Texas State University and she was a part of the German club. She was also a part of a, a sorority but like her closest friends, I, so there's like two sorority sisters of her who I know really, really well who are like her closest, like best friends from the organization. Um, but I also, I think I probably hung out more with like the German club friend group than I have with the, the sorority sisters, which for some folks is like, well, it's mind blowing. Also, it's kind of proximity um, and availability, sure. But like, again, it's, it's cultural. Um, and for, for Maddie, she has like a really deep um, heritage in, in German culture. And when they, you know, when her family came here from Germany to Texas back in the 1800s and actually helped found um, a city up here. Hold on. Um, I'm losing the name here. It's the same city that Jimmy Butler was born. Uh, Trumbull down here in Houston. What's that? Was it Trumbull? Uh, Tomball. Tomball is the name of it. Okay. Sorry. I, that was like, it sounds like Tomball and Umble. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tomball. Um, Umble is also another suburb city out here. So, um, but yeah, so there's Germans. To, you know, you go to Gravestones and it's like in Deutsch, in, in German, um, and that's like her family. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool. So again, cultural is, is a big one. Um, and last but not least, and this is probably what the parents are like, get on with it, uh, <laughs> is <laughs> professional. Uh, and students are probably like, oh yeah, duh. But this is also the one where I see with a lot of students where um, they either are really ingrained in like professional-based organizations or academic, you could also say that, academic-based organizations, or they're not. Um, Working at a business school, not just a business school, but where every program is top 20 across the board. It is so important to start early in learning how to grow your network into the profession that you want to go into. You know, whether you were like me who were, I was in sociology and criminology um, in undergrad because that ended up being my, my majors I, I graduated with, right? Um, or at least the, the major and the emphasis um, that I graduated with. 
I, yes, I, I don't use the criminology part a whole lot with what I do now, uh, but it's good to know some folks because they are working all over the state of California, a couple of them in Nevada, within law enforcement. Uh, and during these you know, trivial times, it's really interesting to be able to talk with them because they're studying about you know, uh, crimes and, and the criminal justice system and criminal justice reform. So yeah, people from all over the scope giving their input. So for me, it's really neat as just like your basic average Joe hearing all these things in the news and being able to know those people. From a sociology standpoint, a lot of those folks help me um, you know, during these times because I know in my position and Jeremiah also in your position, it is important to bring, you know, society together, but it's also even, almost as important, sometimes even more important to understand what is breaking it down. So how friends in sociology who I met through sociology club, whether their opinions are the same as mine or not, having that discussion, having that network is helping me here, you know, in my, in my role in education, especially if I'm trying to help groom tomorrow's leaders in the business world, you know, I don't want them, I'm going to be quite frank, I don't want them graduating a racist. You know, uh, if, if there's a lot of white males. I want them by the time they graduate to check their privilege, to, to know the privilege they have for being a, a white, especially white heterosexual male, uh, and how to be an ally for those who are not as fortunate as like, for example, myself. Um, and so those are really important. But for, you know, I'll say generally for students, if you join business clubs, business organizations, even honors organizations, um, they take you so far because eventually you're gonna grow up being an adult and have a LinkedIn profile and you're, you know, you're gonna wanna get hired and things like that. And there's this saying, Jeremiah, you probably have heard it too, but I'll say to, to especially the, the students listening to your podcast, is that it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. And I will tell you, I feel extremely fortunate that somehow, some way, some, I feel like people, like people knew of, even if it's like the organization you're a part of, what helped me get hired here was, oh, you're coming from UT Dallas, that's a good school. Oh, you've worked with their business clubs, you've helped found like 15, 30 of them, wow, okay. Oh, you come from SMU. Oh, SMU's no no slob. Oh, oh, you know so and so who's the senior associate dean at this college. Oh, I know them too. You never know, and what will help you is when you're an undergrad. And this is something I would recommend: is I don't think I utilize that enough. My network from my academic or professional organizations in undergrad. I could have expanded it way further. I can only imagine the array of conversations I would have during this time. Um, so students like be in the know of that and also dive in and, and go to these talks. Like when you have business leaders or, you know, community leaders or whatever it is in your profession, go there. I know you're not paying for the class, but go there, get that free knowledge and ask them questions. Be bold, like go to these meetings, have these discussions. It's free opportunities for you to learn even further than what you're learning in the classroom. And again, you may not see it when you're in college, but it's going to set you so much further apart in a positive light than everyone else. So that's, that's why I encourage, try three organizations to start. Don't start off with 10 or 20, but try to do one of each at the end of the day. And if you're able to manage more, go for it. Um, but really, if you focus on those three, I think you're going to have a really well-balanced experience. So piggybacking off that, because you just gave so much. The, the gems that you just dropped are amazing. 
Um, so what do man, we you're find? so kind. I wish you were my hype man in life. <laughs> <laughs> what do we find these organizations? You said pick three. So is it mm -hmm. like a big brochure I go to? Like where? Great I question. Yeah. So um, most universities that I know of, and if there's a university that doesn't have this, shame on them. Um, but I feel most will have some sort of structure like this. One again, Jeremiah, you you started off with like asking about orientation. That's typically your first available opportunity to, to get a hold of that. Um, usually, whether it is a club fair or if it is just even an information booth or some sort of fashion, there's typically, whether it's the clubs themselves or the office that oversees all these clubs and organizations are usually there. Uh, so for example, when I was at UT Dallas um, and worked with those tremendous folks, um, there were two opportunities. So on day one of a freshman orientation, uh, there would be like a, a breakout session, a coffee chat, and all of us were out there, like fraternity sorority line had their thing. I was in the student organization center, so I housed all of our, you know, 400 plus organizations. Um, and then you can see like, you know, the career office, academic advising, whatever. So one, that's one of your first opportunities. And unfortunately, when I was there, I rarely had people talking to me. If it was, it was parents. And I love those parents. They were fantastic. Because they, they, I think they kind of had an idea of the importance of like, oh, we should probably talk to this person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you'll you'll want to get involved and stuff like that. Um, but hopefully there's like some sort of club fair. Usually in the first couple of weeks of school, there's usually um, like an overall big event, whether it is a club fair or just multiple clubs and organizations are hosting things on quads or in main spots of the building. Um, most universities that I've seen, you know, SMU did the same thing, Jeremiah, where it's like, again, big quad area, and there's usually like tents and things like that. And basically, you just walk around. It's overwhelming, kind of like orientation. It's a little bit overwhelming, but um, that is one great way to get started. Two, there's always a website. If there's a website, I'm extremely concerned because they might have been hacked, but there should be, <laughs> there should be um, a website that you can get all that information. You know, there's usually an office that you can go into, you can call phone numbers. Um, so that's, that's typically the best way to get started. I would also encourage, because 9.9 .9 times out of 10, when you come to orientation, your orientation leader is involved in something. And even if they may not know who the like student organization center, for example, if it were UT Dallas was, which they all knew it, by the way, UT Dallas's orientation was phenomenal. Like the, the, the students love their leaders. Like there will be days throughout the semester where there were like lunch lunches where like students could come see their orientation leaders. It was a really weird, cause like UT Dallas is a community school. It was a really weird, like, but really neat uh, relationship that like the, the leaders had on, on the students. That was cool. So a little there, but like usually in orientation training, they know who these offices are and can refer you to them. So, you know, if you want to be a leader and help kind of propel yourself, that's a great question to ask of like, one, what organizations are you a part of? And two, how can I get involved? As soon as you say that, they should help you go the, the next steps. But if, you, if you're shy or, I mean, again, orientation is overwhelming, so you might forget about that. Um, that's okay. You, you know, there's many other steps that you can take, many other avenues um, that you can take advantage of to get involved with that. I love it. I love it. So let's say I'm either a freshman mm -hmm. or um, I might be a sophomore or junior in college already listening to this. How do mm -hmm. I go about, there's a, there's, I have a passion in my heart and I want to start an organization. Oh, um, my favorite. And I'm sure it's di it differs between different colleges and universities, mm -hmm. but how do I go about 
of starting and what does that process look like to actually get that up and running? That's a great question. First thing that I would do is try to do your homework. And that is um, going first off finding that student organization center website. If you can't find it and you need to stop by, you know, usually in a student union at your college is where you could, um, you know, walk in. I know it's different now, so use the website. But if it were like non-COVID, everybody were back in person kind of a situation, you could walk into the office. Uh, it's usually like a suite or something like that. There's usually a lot of flyers and brochures. Take that. Um, you want to get you want to get a hold of the website. That's the main thing. You want to get a hold of okay where could I, where's that central location for like all this general information? Go ahead and take a look at that. Nine times out of 10, you know, and I'm speaking on behalf of Rice does this, UT Dallas does this, SMU does this, Sac State did this, and many other schools that I know do this. So that's why I'm like 90% sure that all other universities will do this. When you go on that website, it should give you, you know, frequently asked questions section. And one of them is typically, how do I start an organization? And from there, what you typically do is, you know, you'll look that up, you know, what's the minimum number of people that you need? What's typically the requirements? Constitution bylaws, most likely, you know, how many officers do you need? Um, are there specific officers that you have to specifically have in your constitution bylaws? When do you all meet? What's the purpose of your organization? Um, depending on your university. So for example, UT Dallas is like, we are not going to admit people if it's basically a duplicate of another organization that we already have. So in that case, students would need to, you know, be able to write out and their application, here's why we're different than any other organization. Now, you could be like the Ohio State University that has like a bazillion clubs and organizations and 20,000 of them are the same. That's not a jab at Ohio State because clearly Ohio State is lit. So, <laughs> you know, that's not a jab. And one of my best friends went there, so that's how I know. Um, but in that case, it, it probably, you know, take that out and just here's the description of my organization, right? Um, and then I mentioned it a little bit. There's an application typically, and that should be on the website there. So start your application, submit it, and typically that office will reach back out to you and be like, hey, um, you know, either they'll reach out to you and be like, let's set up an appointment. This is interesting. Or there's a tab usually that can like, you can try to ask for an appointment. We do that here in our office. We have uh, Leanne in my office who's phenomenal. Also a former student athlete at uh, Tarleton State and her dad was a former football player at A&M, fun fact. Um, but she works with our clubs and associations and you can like set up an appointment with her uh, based off of like, hey, I'm applying to have this brand new organization. And then that way you can sit down. Now we, we're smaller, we have about 40 organizations. So it's easier for us to kind of have that one-on-one -on -one kind of access, but for general undergrad, you know, you'll get an application, they'll probably reach back out to you. If you don't hear from them, um, especially if it's a big public institution that already has a lot of clubs and organizations, be patient, be persistent, and go ahead and follow up. You know, find out who, you know, whether it's a director or something like that, um, and ask them, hey, you know, my name, my name is Andrew Shaw. I'm looking to host the Jeremiah Gaines Club. Uh, we're here to make gains both physically, emotionally, spiritually, all these things. We're just trying to be like Jeremiah. We're a big fan club of his. I'd love to set up an appointment with you. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll get back to you. And if they don't, that's a whole separate issue, which I hate to say you may want to prepare for a tiny bit. But for the most part, someone should be able to respond to be like, Jeremiah Gaines, man, he's awesome. I've read his book. I think there should be a club for him. There's definitely no other club like that. Let's talk on, you know, here are the days that I'm available. Then boom, now you can start the Jeremiah Gaines Club, which if anybody on this podcast actually did that, hands down, 
I mean, I would endorse it. Fund it. Please don't. Please Scholarships. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how you would do it. Um, oh, and sometimes okay. it can go by really quickly. Um, and honestly, and I'll say from the back end, because I used to go through these new organizations like Clockwork, especially when I was working at UT Dallas. That was one of the big things that I did. Um, I will tell you, there are spurts where like, like my office, we oversaw homecoming. We oversaw like all these other big projects. So when those big projects were happening, don't anticipate that like the office will get back to you. Um, you know, we try our best, but there's, there's just limitations, especially when you're working 12, 14 hour days on homecoming or whatever it is, weeks of welcome, stuff like that. Um, but then there's usually quiet times and, you know, once you catch them at a quiet time, it goes by really fast. But sometimes, again, if it's a busy season, could be midterms, could be finals or whatever, um, just be prepared. It might take a little bit more time. But again, if you follow up, you'll, you'll be okay. I, I've never heard of a student who was like, oh, I followed up and just never heard from them. But I'm just assuming because that can't happen in life to prepare for that. But yeah, otherwise, um, and then you get started. And I think the most challenging thing, Jeremiah, is once you start the organization, sustaining it. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, if you want to start an organization, make sure your recruiting plan is sound. That's one thing I'll say, like, you could benefit if you learn from a Greek organization, because typically their recruiting plans are on point. If you can learn a thing or two from them, maybe not replicate exactly what they do, because you may not be, you know, founding a, a Greek organization. But, you know, from a social aspect, if you can, you know, entice people and continue to, because you need to have typically a certain amount of membership to maintain these clubs and organizations. Worst thing and the most frustrating thing is seeing a club that like, you know, they're in, oh, they're gone. They're in, nope, reinstated, no, you know, like that for the organization, that's no way to go. As an administrator who works with them and wants to see organizations thrive, and no matter how many times, like I would reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm noticing this trend where you're like, you're good for a semester, but then you're gone for a semester. Um, you know, make sure, make sure you have people um, and that you have like a transition plan um, to, integrate officers and things like that. Once you do that, I mean, you, you'll cruise for the most part. Got you, perfect. Yeah. So I have two more questions for you. Andrew. Okay. So on a, along the same lines of starting an organization, mm -hmm. um, I know that your master's program, I know a little bit about what you um, went over <laughs> um, in that program. And a lot of it was about like student um, development, specifically leadership yes. skills. Mm -hmm. And so can you, kind of break down some leadership skills that you think will be important for students as they transition to college and for mm -hmm. afterwards as well? Man, that's a terrific question. Um, quick plug in for the SMU higher ed program. <laughs> Get awesome guys like Jeremiah Gaines and so many other folks. Casey Africana, who was on, you know, your last season. I love her. She is an angel, a uh, great human being. I hope people listen to that because, I mean, she has a tremendous story. Also, go Notre Dame, uh, <laughs> which people don't say enough. Uh, I'm biased because I'm also a fan, which they're one of my random schools that I like. But, um, but to get back to your question, leadership-wise, I would say, first and foremost, a good leader, and this is something that, I mean – I learned in just being a grad student and also working with students and having to apply this to myself. Organization is crucial. Being organized, finding a way, finding a system for you to keep track of everything. Every great leader has a system um, that allows them to keep track. For me, I live and die by the calendar. 
I need to have better contingency plans for if my calendar gets hacked and like we don't have the calendar app anymore on our phones or our right. computers and stuff like that. But for now, you know, being able to put things down. Um, for me, I'm, I'm always on my phone. Jeremiah, I have hundreds of notes on my phone. My phone blows up 25 times a day being like, you need to update your storage. <laughs> it's like update to the cloud. Oh my God, I won't give you my information even though you already have it, right? Um, but on a serious note, being organized, having a system, being methodical, getting into a rhythm. For athletes, does this sound familiar? Ah, you know, football, right? Okay, we get out at, you know, two hours, right, Jeremiah? It'd be like two hours before kickoff. All right, special teams. Let's get the long snapper out there. Let's get the kicker and the punter out there. Let's get the return man out there. You know, you get into a groove. You know, um, you stretch at this time. We've got, you know, everybody's suited up. Everybody's padded up at this time. I know I use a lot of football examples, but, I mean, you and I can relate. And I think generally people, you know, whether it's basketball, baseball, whatever it is, right, you know, that translates into adulthood when you're a college student and being a leader and being effective is being able to get into a groove with that also being adaptable. But that's where the organization is, being able to jot things down. That's why at the beginning I was telling people, like, what you're doing now in sports or if you're a college athlete or even in clubs or whatever it is, jotting these things down, documenting it and not forgetting about it is huge because then you can track your progress and that allows for you to grow. I think one of the best things for me, and this is why, Jeremiah, when you reached out and you were like, hey, man, can you be on the show? Is like when I see who I think are great leaders growing and propelling and having that upward trajectory, like I'm all about it. That's why I'm telling folks on this podcast to start the Jeremiah Gaines Club at their institution. I'm not going to know this. Stop. But, um, <laughs> but that, you know, but being organized, being methodical is what's going to take you, take you that way. Um, leaders take risks. I work, you know, I'm really fortunate to claim, you know, Rice Business here, our, our graduate school business is number one entrepreneurship um, in, in the nation. Number one entrepreneurship program. Um, undergraduate is, is U of H, which is cool, right down the street. Um, they have the number one undergraduate program, but for graduate programs, um, we're number one. And one of the biggest things that they have at the door, uh, both at the Door Institute, which is our um, like coaching uh, group that we have here at Rice, um, but then the Lilly Lab, which is our um, entrepreneurship lab that we have on campus, is you, you gotta take risks. Um, and with risks comes confidence. Every leader has confidence in what they do. This has come from somebody who is their hardest critic. I am hardest on myself. My beautiful, wonderful love of my life, Maddie, is super hard on me because she believes in me <laughs> and knows I can do better. But even she will tell you, I'm, I, can, I can be mad or whatever. I can push him to do this, but I already know Andrew's hard on himself. There's a difference between being hard on yourself and maybe being a perfectionist or you know, wanting to do better for yourself and having confidence. You know, confidence is being able to be on a podcast where, you know, your friend is like, talk about your experiences and have the confidence that what experiences you have is going to help others, their lives better. Um, and so leaders got to think about that. Um, leaders also need to have a purpose in life. One of my favorite guys who I follow on LinkedIn and just social media in general, you, some of y'all might be um, familiar with him on Shark Take is Draymond John, uh, John from uh, FUBU, CEO, founder of FUBU. Love that dude. Uh, Mark Cuban, love him too. Uh, specific shout outs for them. And what each of them exude is like they have a passion 
for, for what they do. Um, and specifically Draymond, he would, he would say um, quotes such as, and I saw this the other day, um, do something that you love so much that you'd be willing to do it for free. I mean, that's what he did. That's how he started FUBU. He just, he was into clothing. He was, you know, into hip hop lifestyle, like all these things all culminated. He had a purpose, he had a goal. And eventually he's just like, you know what, I'm going to create this clothing company that's going to change the world. And it did. It affected like an entire industry, like it helped propel hip hop to what it is today. Uh, and so many other clothing lines followed after it. And, and then he turned into a great investor and, and all these things. Um, but if you're willing to do it for free, that's, that's what leaders are willing to do. If there's a specific cause, that's not just going to benefit them, but it's going to benefit like the world and so many people. You just go for it. Um, I'm going back to taking risks. Um, and so those are, I think those are the, the big things. Um, and then the last thing, and I'm a huge component of this, and, and Jeremiah is something I really admire with you specifically. Um, leaders serve. Mm. A leader is a servant leader. Um, you know, Jeremiah, you're doing this podcast, you write your books, you, you do what you do because you want to serve a community. And this community has been longing for people to give them insight of how to navigate for college and just life and, you know, being an athlete and, and, you know, all your guests bring that and you culminate, you know, that in your podcast. That's an example of servant leadership. You know, for me, um, I try to serve my students because they want to make the world a better place. Um, And so, you know, you got to ask yourself every day, what can I do? to, you know, serve this population. And, you know, one of the organizations I oversee is a a group called Rice Business Gives Back. And it's where we volunteer. We have many volunteer opportunities, whether it's hosting a free competition for junior achievement here um, so that they can learn to be, they can practice to be entrepreneurs, an opportunity that they probably didn't have until, you know, universities start popping up and saying, hey, let's have you know, uh, students uh, apply their skills and, and promote these new ideas and apps and things like that. Um, and, you know, at Rice, the people who serve myself, my students, we do it for free. We don't, get, you know, we don't charge people for our services specifically, um, you know, but we do it because we care and, and you know, we want our, our future to be better. Uh, and we, I want to see people succeed. And I think a real leader is somebody who genuinely is willing to serve, put themselves on the line and not take the credit. You know, uh, again, Jeremiah, you're a great example by being humble. If you're going to serve, be humble with it. Um, the, the accolades will come. The accolades can't matter. If you live off of accolades, that stuff gets taken from you so quickly. And I've seen it from so many leaders who had, you know, such great attitudes and whatnot. And as soon as they got sucked in and they weren't willing to serve and they weren't willing to be humble, boom, it can all be taken. So, you know, I hope everybody takes that to heart. Everybody has an opportunity to be a leader in some way. It might not be the president of the United States, but it, it might be the president of the United States, or, you know, it, you, you could be a captain like Jeremiah, or you can, you know, lead other leaders like I did with orientation or even what I do right now. I advise three student governments that are MBA students. That's intense stuff. Like this group <laughs> makes major decisions for their students. Like there's huge implications. Um, but again, I don't do it because like, oh, I'm getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm looking at Jeremiah here. We, we're not getting paid that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, we're not getting paid that kind of money. It's not, but it's not about the money. What fulfills us, right? And this is why I love working with you, Jeremiah, and talking with you whenever we do. We do it because we love it. We do it because we want to do it for people. And I think whether you make a lot of money or not, if you, if you have that, that part of your heart, like 
I mean, you're, you're unstoppable. I've seen so many great CEOs who have like just the most golden hearts. And it's like, you know, those are also the people who go down in history as like, you know, the most admired leaders. And so, um, anyways, you can, you can get all that in, in college. I know I'm saying a whole lot of things, but like you, you, when you turn 18 or 20 or whatever it is, when, whenever your college experience starts, or if you go into trade school, or whatever, like you have these opportunities. The question is, are you willing to take advantage of those opportunities? That's why you got to go back to the confidence part, right? You got to be confident and know that you're worth it. Um, and, and I'll say right now uh, for the audience that they see the video of this, I don't typically have a mustache. I actually usually have a beard, um, but I, I have a mustache for Movember. So um, promoting prostate health and, and mental health and men and things like that. And I think for leaders, you know, take, take care of yourselves. Like be, make sure that you're in a place. Every leader has, has a tight support group. You know, I can see like Jeremiah will always be somebody who, who in my, in my group of select people, I can go to him and know I'm going to get good critical feedback. He's going to build me up. He may have something instructive, something I can improve upon, but he's going to be able to build me up. You know, my, my wife is, is that type of person. My mom's that type of person, you know, a few you know, I have a few best friends, though they are those kind of people. So make sure for your own well-being, a good leader um, has those friends. And again, that's something that you can get in college. I mentioned at the beginning with the organizations I was a part of or, you know, some of the things I joined, I have some of my closest friends in each of those aspects who I, you know, who I can depend upon, who can ensure, you know, that, that I'm good to go so I continue to serve others. So make sure that you have that too. I don't think it gets I don't think it gets talked up enough. I know we can have a whole other conversation about um, health and well-being right. aspects, but we won't get to that. I just want to make sure that people knew it's, it's important. It's okay um, to have like that mental, emotional support system as well. And spiritual, if, you, if you're into spiritual spirituality, like, like Jeremiah and I, like that, you know, having that spiritual support is also important as a leader. Um, it can help remind you why you're serving and what your purpose is and your passion is. Yeah. Again, you can get all this stuff in college. Yeah. Andrew, that was <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, just so so many good things. I just want to let it. I was you were talking to me about leadership. I'm like, man, I need to uh, do better. <laughs> oh yeah, but that, see, that, that's it, y'all. Did you hear that? That's an example. There's that humility and being able to like, what more can I do? Jeremiah just did it right there. Well, he just <laughs> well, I was just, you just gave a leadership. We can course. all improve, man. Yeah, we can you, all you, improve. I'm not perfect by any means. You know man uh but it's but that's that's the thing that leaders also well i'll tell y'all too is when you're when you're a show leader like you'll know that when you get older some people they'll put like real recognizes real leaders recognize other leaders like i i cannot call myself a, a great leader but i do see myself as like i lead others like i look at jeremiah and i'm like that's a leader um, not just because he was his cool captain who I also remember him trucking. I forget what school, what team it was, but he trucked somebody. And I was like, that man right there, I can get behind that. This was before I met Jeremiah. <laughs> and then that summer after, I think it was like your 2015 season or whatever. And then I met you in housing. I was like, you, and I was like translating all of that. I'm like, but this is the nicest guy. And from interacting with you, I'm like, this is a leader, not just because of how he plays on the field, but like as a person, how you conduct yourself, like you recognize that, you know? Andrew, you were you were too kind. I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah, man, thank you so much. Um, first of all, for being on the podcast, you're gonna help so many people. But I do have one more question that I want to ask. Shoot me, man. 
let's say are there I know you've given us you've given us a lot of things <laughs> to, to talk about and discuss, which is great. You know, so many things to talk about. Can you tell me a few more things or like what are students as they're transitioning to college, mm-hmm. what are priorities and what do they need to be aware of or think about while they're making that transition? Like your last few tips on what they need to be focusing on and what they need to um, like progress towards to be ready for that moment. Um, I will say this because this is talking about getting prepared for college, um, specifically being a, a student, again, whether a student athlete or just a general student. Um, prioritization uh, is, is so crucial. So um, another part of my background, I, I alluded to it a little bit, is um, when I got through orientation, I was also trained to do academic advising and through that experience and thankfully through the exposure that you know my bosses Mary and Sean it gave me additional training to do I was able to actually be a fill-in for the academic advising office because Sac State at the time when I was there and it's even larger now is over 30,000 students um, and we're, we're open to everybody uh, besides a few you know doctoral students who had their specific advisors and master's students and things like that but for general undergrad and even some master's programs like we we helped out mostly undergrad. And so one thing when I would talk with, whether it's you know, a student or a student athlete, is being able to prioritize. When you are at a university, it is one of the biggest financial investments that you're gonna, that you're gonna take. Now, whether it is coming out of your pocket or if it's coming out of someone else's, it is a crucial investment. For example, when Jeremiah was a student athlete at SMU, not that SMU boasts about this, but nationwide is one of the most expensive schools. Now, is it worth it? Is it still a high valued university? Actually it is, it's actually a highly ranked valuable university, which means that what you pay is what you get out of it. Now, when Jeremiah was a scholarship athlete, the, whether it was donors, whether it was departments, whether it was athletics, whoever it was that compiled what made up the scholarship, for example, for, for Jeremiah, as like I'm speaking as a student athlete, his prioritization was number one, school. Now, a lot of people will laugh and be like, you know, there's skits from SNO where like John Cena is an Alabama football player and, you know, he has an easy route with school. There's that stigma. But really, for the most part, as a student athlete, like you're student first. Uh, I know it's cheesy, um, but you – you can practice that right now in middle school, high school. If you're in college right now, do it now. You're a student first and then athlete second. So when I would work and advise athletes, I would say you need to prioritize your school and then you need to prioritize sports. Now I'm talking to a football player who starts their days at 6 a.m. and then doesn't end their day at nine until 9 p.m. You know, that's a really hard message to convey. But what you do in there is in between six to nine, you find times, that's why there's study halls, which a lot of y'all, if you're high school athletes, you go through right now, uh, that translates, and you should be able to do that. You know, even if you're not an athlete, you should still, if you're getting involved in things like that, you should always map out, okay, when are my class times? So I don't miss a class. And two, when are times that I am optimally at my best to studying? At first, most folks don't know that. So you, that's a trial and error. I'm just going to be real. 
Um, so you may have to dedicate more time to studying just to figure out, okay, when is that best time? And then from there, that's when your third prioritization, oh, I'm going to get involved in, and, um, or I work or something like that. And sometimes, yeah, your work schedule, you have to, you know, work around your work schedule, but if you're still able to dedicate time to school and stuff like that, you can, you can do that. But number one is prioritization. You know, again, whether it's a student athlete or a regular student, when they would come to me and they're struggling or something like that, the first question I ask them is, how often are you studying? You know, do you go to class? What is your schedule like? These are the first, you know, I'm trying to get to know them. Uh, I want to get to know their life, whether they are, you know, I would work with, you know, single parents or uh, these were people who were non-traditional non students who were like in their 50s or first generation students or even just, you know, your average Joe or something like that would come in. I want to get to know your story and make sure based off of what you're doing is powers is are you prioritizing the best way possible? And that's something I have to reiterate to myself. I talked about time management earlier of like, I'm waking up at 5 a.m. so I can work out, get ready, go to work. You know, my wife is, is <laughs> sleeping, so I'm like, okay. Um, I know she's gonna be awake when I, when I get home. So that's why I'm like, I'm gonna do all this other extracurricular, go to work, because we'll both work around the same time. And then by the time I'm home, She's the priority, right? Mm -hmm. Jeremiah knows knows about that all too well. Yes, um, so as a student, as a student, that's what you need to do because that skill translates over, and then that also highlights your leadership and all these other things that we were talking about here. Um, so you are setting yourself up for failure if you don't prioritize. Now, is there a point where it's too late for you to prioritize? I mean, honestly, to me, this sounds cheesy, but like when you have no pulse left, when you're dead and, you know, you go into the next aspect of all that, whatever people believe in, it might not be the same as Jeremiah and I, but, you know, when you've had your last breath, I think it's too late. I think people can, there's a saying of like, people don't change, but I think people can still always improve. They may not change. There may be procrastinators um, or there may be a type people who are like super meticulous. Um, but regardless, I think everybody can, find a way to prioritize, whether it's as meticulous as an A-type or, or not, it's up to the person, their personality. But ultimately you need, again, when we talk about leadership, Jeremiah, we're talking about um, getting into a rhythm, getting into a system, being able to organize. If, if you don't do these things, you know, it's also like, what do you have, what do you have going for you? What do you have to live for? Then, then you're bummed out. And, and that's something I don't even want to go into, but you know, it's a dark path. So if you prioritize, when you're in college is going to set you up for, for so much success. Um, and then I'll say the last thing when it comes down to it, um, I know I, I feel like I said this a few times, make sure like when you, when you're in college and you know, this is a huge financial investment, make sure you make sure you're doing what you love. Parents are going to hate me for this, but I'll say it anyways because some of them may want their student going to STEM and maybe your, your student loves STEM or business or whatever it is, these money-making areas that you can get for undergrad or whatever. As somebody who switched their major from money-making to, oh, my mom being like, oh God, what is he doing? Um, make sure you, you are doing what you love because, you know, going into point one of like, you need to be able to prioritize because you know, you're financially investing in this. I was talking about Jeremiah and like his scholarship, or maybe you have another scholarship that comes from somebody or you're paying out of pocket. You need to make the most of it. So make sure that what you're doing is what you love. If you were 
if you are miserable, even if you're good at engineering, maybe you're, you're good at engineering, but you don't quite love it. And you're like, okay, what is something that I can do? <laughs> I'm really good at engineering. What's well, something that I might like a little bit more? Go for that. For me, I'm, I'm a people's person. I'm a social scientist. Um, I, I love to observe these things. Um, I wasn't as good in physics and chemistry and anatomy as I hoped I would be. I wouldn't be a good physical therapist like I wanted to be when I was 18 years old. It's what I love to do until I got into classes. And I'm like, I hate this. But then I switched gears and switched majors and was like, this is what I love to do. Now, I'll say probably looking back, I really should have been a communications major. But that didn't come up in, in these like uh, – there's like these aptitude tests that I took in our careers and communications didn't come up. Otherwise I probably would have taken that, but I'm, I thank God every day that I was a sociology major because and it ends up being things that I love to do. And even though I don't make hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars doing what I do, I wake up every day, 5am thanking God for the opportunity that I have. Um, and that's ultimately as a college student, that's what you need to do is go back, find your passion make sure you're doing things that you're willing to wake up for, you know, again, going back to the, the quote of, you know, love something so much that you're willing to do it for free. Um, and so, but make sure that you're, when you find that passion that you push yourself, don't stay content. That's parents. That's where I'm going to grab you back in. You're going to love me again. Don't be content with like minimal. You may have some minimal gains here or there, but keep pushing yourself. If you love it, it's worth fighting for. And as my grandpa, who's not with us today, he's in heaven, um, would say, he told my mom and told to me, is that a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. And if you love that job, it's worth doing, and it's worth giving your all to. Whether it's you know, being a husband or a wife, if it is being a college student or being an assistant director in the student programs office like myself, if it's what you love and it's you know, worth going for, go for it. You know, don't part of my French don't have asset. Um, and if you, if you prioritize and you push yourself and are passionate and love what you do, sky's the limit. Um, and, and I can, I can give you hundreds of student examples who did just those two things, you know, when they were in college and they are, you know, I have one of those students here who I advised at SMU. He's an NBA student. He's a student government leader. Uh, he oversees this thing called right fund, which is like multi-million dollar fund that students put together and help with you know venture capital investment banking a really big deal <laughs> for some of the middle school or high schoolers listening to this call students are like dang that's that's big you know he's an example does those two things he prioritizes right and he loves what he's doing yeah he might luck out and make a lot of money but he would also tell you he's he used to also bodybuild he was mr smu really? um, bodybuilding you know he's like i just happen to love investment banking more you know, translates more to me. He's like, otherwise I would have gone to bodybuilding. He probably would have succeeded there. Like he looks like a Steve Cook, man. Like could have been a cover model or something like that. But anyway, that's, that's the big thing that I want, I want the, uh, the viewers to take away from that. Man, that's amazing. Um, yeah, like I've said multiple times, just your story and the way that you have articulated the importance of a lot of these things like the student organization um, and the, or the student organizations and the orientation I think, cause I don't think people really realize like how important that first of all, that those things are even in existence until they get that email mm -hmm. like two weeks before um, it's time to do that. So yeah, thank you so much, yeah. Andrew, for being a part. Um, and I'm super excited for our audience to hear. Um, and yeah, just so thankful for you. And yeah, I hope that moving forward, 
Um, if anyone wants to talk to Andrew, you can um, email us at elevate2elevate at gmail.com and I'll see if Andrew has, he's a celebrity around here. <laughs> so I'll see if he has time. Uh, but thank you so much and y'all have a great rest of y'all's week. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me here, man. Always a blessing. Yes, sir.